Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. And what we're going to do is continue and close out the series that we've been in this last couple weeks. Um, it's a series called Dead Without Love. Um, this is the last uh, message in this series. And this series has been taking us through 1 Corinthians 13. So if you don't know um, that chapter, it's pretty famous. It's known as the love chapter, typically. And what we've been doing is breaking apart piece by piece. And we've been talking about how love is supposed to be applied to our lives, how we're supposed to implement love through our lives and changes that we may need to make and, and things that we need to look to ultimately in order to reflect Jesus well. So what we're going to do today is we're going to be closing out the series and we're going to go through all of this text, every single verse of this chapter, one last time. Um, we're going to break it down in pieces and we're going to kind of summarize what we've gone through, what we've learned, and we're going to put it in perspective as one whole picture for us to see. And as I was studying for this, kind of preparing and getting ready to, to break this down, um, it reminded me of a game that I've played. And I kind of want to explain this. I want us to actually play this game. Um, I don't know if you've ever done this. I used to do this on road trips, but we would play this game called Stranded on a Deserted Island. Um, and what you do is a pretty simple game. You have three items that you get to pick. Not people, has to be items. And you pick three items that you think, these are the, the things that I need in my life. If I'm going to spend the rest of my life alone on this island, these are the items I need. And I want to play this game briefly with you guys. If you have an item that you would bring with you, just shout it out to me. A knife, a knife I heard. What else? Flint. Okay. Another? Boat. I like that. That's a smart. Okay. Yeah. Soap. Okay. I like that. I like the answers that you get when you ask these questions. It really puts things in perspective. Because if you're going to boil everything down that you need in life, you kind of typically go like, what is the most important things I need? Um, I love the show Survivor. It's like one of my favorite shows ever. And on Survivor, they are literally stranded on a deserted island together. And they usually give them just a couple of the most basic essentials that they're going to need to live. It's usually flint. It's usually a, a pot that they can boil water in. And then usually they give them like a machete so they can cut wood and, and build things. And I think that's the direction that we would want to go is the most essential, but that's not always the answers that you get. Um, oftentimes when you talk about um, the essentials, when you ask this question, you get some other things that are more in the comfort direction. Um, in the last service, someone said feather bed. That was their choice that they thought they would bring. Um, I've heard people say, I want a PlayStation 5 with me. That's what I want to bring on the island. People say, hey, I need access to TikTok and Instagram. That's going to get me by. I need to be entertained. All of those things may be enjoyable, but they're not actually the most important. And what we're going to see today is Paul, as we run through this, where we're going to wind up at the end of this, is Paul is breaking down following Jesus into the three most essential things. And he's sort of playing this game with us that he would call how to be a reflection of Jesus. What are the most important things? That's going to be the title of today's message, how to be a reflection of Jesus. He's asking that question. If you were to boil that down, all right, I want to be a reflection of Jesus. What are the, the three items that I would want that, to accomplish that? I think if we think about that, some of the things we will probably come up with are, yeah, Bible. I need to be able to speak God's word. Jesus, 
spoke the truth of God's word, and Jesus did it in a way that no one else ever did. I would need to be able to speak well, share the word of God well in a powerful way. Jesus spoke to thousands of people, speaking truths about the kingdom of God and revealing things in a way no one had ever understood them before. So we might think, well, I need to be able to speak. I need to be able to share God's word. Some of us might think, well, I need the miracles. Jesus went around. He was doing some incredible miracles, healing people. He's doing these mighty wonders. So if I want to reflect Jesus, then I need to be able to do the miracles. And then people will, will see Jesus in that. Some of us might think serving. Some might think, well, Jesus was constantly going around to different cities. He was sleeping in the, the dust and using pillows or rocks as pillows, trying to move town to town so that he could pour into people, so that he could love people well. So if I was going to reflect Jesus, then I would, need to, I would need to serve constantly. Every single Sunday, every moment, I would need to be serving. Those are all interesting, good things. But what Paul says when he's answering this question, how to be a reflection of Jesus Paul is going to boil this all down to three things that you might not expect initially, that we might not initially choose. And what he's going to do is we're going to begin in verses one through three here in just one second, and he's going to talk to them about, hey, this is what you need in order to reflect Jesus. So let's read those first three verses. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, then I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, then I gain nothing. The first point is going to come from that little trunk right there. Point number one is all the great things that we may do are dead without love. When we talked about those essentials, how are we going to reflect Jesus? The things that he talks about there, those are things that we would probably go to. When we think about having knowledge of mysteries, when we talk about speaking in tongues, it doesn't just stop with this list. It could be all the other gifts as well. Healing, hospitality, all these different areas. When we think about those things, how they apply. He's saying, if you do those things, if you're as generous as it gets, you give away literally everything you have, but it doesn't have love, then it's useless. It's dead. There is no reflection of Jesus there. And the reason he's saying that is because the Corinthians, the original people that he was writing this to, they originally started on the right track. Paul had gone to the city of Corinth and he had planted that church there and he had poured into them and he'd kind of got them rolling in what it looks like to follow Jesus. And initially they were doing well. But when Paul left over some time, they started to lose sight of what was most important. And they started walking in the spiritual gifts that God poured out for them to use and, and they have purpose. But they started to make themselves the center as opposed to Jesus being the center. So love was no longer a part of what they were doing. So what was happening is when it came to knowledge, when it came to prophecy, when it came to all these different things like that, they were seeing people who spoke in ways that no one else typically could. They were seeing people explain the, the word of God in ways that most people couldn't. They were seeing people healed and they were, they were enthralled by all of this, but they were beginning to point to the person instead of pointing to God. What they started to do was pick favorites 
who they thought were, oh, this is the greatest scholar. This is the greatest speaker. He's the most charismatic. He's the most exciting. He's the one who has the best things to say. That guy is the most important. And they started to make them the center of attention. They started to get enthralled and, and be enamored by the different gifts. It became sort of, sort of a show for them when it came to healings, when it came to those words of knowledge, God giving them understanding maybe about someone's life that they should not be able to know. They began to see those things. And instead of looking and saying, wow, God is so good, they started saying, wow, this is an amazing thing. We should do that more. This is kind of a show. This is a wonderful moment. I want to see more of that. And what happened is the love faded. There was no longer love in it because it was all about them. It was about this self-centered motive that everything was, was tying back to themselves. And the thing about the Corinthians is that this issue is not unique to them. What they're dealing with and why Paul is writing this, he's trying to correct them. He's trying to help them understand, hey, this is what love is. This is how you reflect Jesus. He starts here because he knows not only are the Corinthians dealing with it, but also people later are going to be dealing with the same thing. And in our own culture today, you don't really have to look very far to see these same things taking place. I know that it's our gut response oftentimes to see different pastors and speakers and see the way that they speak, the way that they teach God's word and say, oh man, they do it better than anybody else. Man, they're the best. We begin to put them up on pedestals and make them into celebrities. And people want to go to their churches to watch this guy speak. But the truth is, those things may be great, what they're saying, but if they are the center of the tension, if we are making them the center of attention, then there's no longer love in it and it's dead. It's useless. If we go out into our communities and we're praying for healing over somebody and we're, we're praying and we're asking God fervently, would you please heal this guy, this issue that they're going, that's going on in their life? And then God answers it. If people start pointing fingers back at us and how great we are because God answered that prayer, we're doing it wrong. There's no love in that anymore. It's self-centered. We are not to be the focus. What oftentimes happens is when we lose track of the motive, the motive should be love. When we lose track of that and it starts to point to us, instead of building God's kingdom, we start to build our own kingdoms, start to build our own empires. We start to look at the blessings God given us, that God's given us as a church to be in a building like this that we've just recently built out. And we say, hey, this looks so much better than it used to look. This is impressive. This is really cool. We're not doing this for us. This is not so we can say, hey, you see how big Awaken's growing? See how big that church is growing? It's not about that. It's not about this empire that we are making. It's, this is not about us at all. It's all intended to point back to Jesus. So all the great things that we may do, the spiritual gifts, the incredible, wonderful things that God has allowed us and given us in this world, those blessings, if we are walking in these things without love, then it's dead. It's useless. And Paul is saying, you need to correct that mindset. You need to be walking on the right track. If you want to reflect Jesus, you need to make sure love is in the mix. But not just any love. Not just any kind of concept about what love is. Paul's going to tell us exactly what he means by love. We're going to read that now, verses 4 through 7. He says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. 
does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. The second point that we have is going to come from this little chunk here, and it's that authentic love is defined by God. Authentic love is defined by God. And this is actually really important that it is defined. Because now more than ever, we live in a culture that is trying to redefine what love is. We live in a culture that's trying to say, not only tell us what love is, but say that that type of love is your identity. That's how you should live. But the love that our culture is saying that we ought to live is based in feelings, it's based in desires, and it's based in whatever's going to make somebody happy in this moment. But the truth is, that kind of love is not love at all. It's not authentic. It's an imposter. It's masquerading as love, but it's a lie. And we can't allow ourselves to begin to allow that type of love to bleed into the way that we treat others as a followers of Jesus. Because that's not a love that reflects Jesus. That's a love, a love that reflects death. When we think of those types of love, the way that our culture loves and the, the way that our world tends to walk out in love, what ends up happening is instability of families. What ends up happening is brokenness, depression. What ends up happening is people feeling purposeless and empty, constantly hungering for the next thing, never feeling fulfilled in any way. It leads to suicide. It leads to all these different terrible things. It leads to identity crises, people not knowing who they are, what they're meant to do. That's because that kind of love is an imposter. But here, Paul tells us what love actually is. He says, this is authentic love that is defined by God. This is not Paul just pulling these words out of thin air. Paul didn't just say this because he thought it was going to be flowery and nice. And he thought, oh, if people do these things, it's going to be nice to each other. That wasn't his point. That's not why he wrote these things. Paul wrote these things because these are a direct reflection of Jesus. These things are taken right out of the life of Jesus. Jesus lived this. These things that Paul is saying, he's saying, hey, here are the clear, defined guardrails of what real love is and is not. If you want to reflect Jesus, that's what you do. Saying, Jesus, he did these things. When Jesus walked in obedience to the Father, when he held strongly to the truths of Scripture, when Jesus interacted with people around him, this is the kind of love that he was displaying. And if you don't believe me, just go back and read through the Gospels with this in mind. And you're going to see it all over the text. In everything that Jesus says, in everything that Jesus does, this is it. And not only is Jesus defining this love, that is his nature. He is the author of it. He is the only one who has the authority to tell us what it is and is not. And he calls us to live it out. In fact, in 1 John 4, verses 7 through 9, it says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What's that telling us? It's that God himself stepped out of heaven and love was made manifest, tangible here on earth so that we could see it and understand it for what it truly is. And then it's saying that we should emulate that love. That love is not subjective. It's not this thing that we get to make up and decide what it, what it is and what it is not, but he has defined it for us. And the thing about that is when we understand that, grasp the value of it, if we begin to live that out, then it will become inevitable for us to not become reflections of Jesus. It's going to become inevitable that what we do reflects Jesus more, that what we do shows people what Jesus is like. So Paul, having explained that out, saying, hey, this is what authentic love looks like. You guys are operating the gifts, these things that are meant to point to Jesus, but you're not doing it with love, so it's empty, it's useless. You need to have love, and this is the type of love that it is. And then he transitions into, hey, this is how it all begins to work together. This is where it's all going. And that's what he's talking about in verses 8 through 12. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Point number three is that the art is meant to point to the artist. The art is meant to point to the artist. So he starts off by saying, he just explained love, and he says, love never ends. He's saying, this is the fuel that should carry you through the entirety of your life. Love should be poured over everything you do. And then he begins to talk about the gifts. He talks about prophecy, knowledge, tongues. It doesn't just stop there. It goes into everything that you can think of. Speaking the truth of God's word healing, all of these different areas that might be gifts. He's saying those things are beautiful, powerful things. Those things are intended to give people a glimpse of Jesus. That's what he means by the partial. We see it in part. We have knowledge in part. He's saying these things are powerful things that God's given. And when these gifts are acted out in love, they give us a glimpse of Jesus. They let us see him in ways that we couldn't before. It's just like a snapshot of him. And that's beautiful, but that art is meant to point to the artist. That beauty of those gifts is meant to give glory back to him. He's saying about when he talks about maturity, he says, we used to be childish. He's talking about spiritual maturity. He's saying you used to walk in childish ways. You thought like a child. He's saying you didn't understand what was going on. You didn't grasp it. But as you follow Jesus, as you walk in love, you matured. You grow in maturity. No longer do you do those things anymore. He says, you begin to reflect Jesus now. But he says, even that reflection is just a reflection. It's not Jesus himself. He says, 
We are the art. What we do is the art and he is the artist. And all of that's pointing to him. All of this is pointing to eternity. Love never ends. It fuels these things. He says, give glory to God and allow him to be reflected through your life so that people see him, not you. And he's trying to put it into perspective for us by saying, hey, all of that stuff, as beautiful as it is, as great as they may be, they're gonna go away. At some point, all of this, what we're doing right now, standing together in church, worshiping each week, hearing from a teacher speak God's word and and share it. This is all going to go away. You know why? Because it's not going to be needed anymore. Because we're going to be face to face with him. No longer will our world only see Jesus through the reflection that we are able to to pour out as we love, but people are going to see Jesus himself face to face. It's not necessary anymore. But until that day comes, we are to walk in love. That's what he's saying. The art is meant to point to the artist. Then Paul goes into verse 13, and this is where he concludes it. He says, So now, faith, hope, and love abide. And abide means remain. He says, These three but the greatest of these is love. The last point today in in this message is reflecting Jesus requires faith, hope, and love. Reflecting Jesus requires faith, hope, and love. Now, when we first get to this point, we've been talking about love this whole entire time. So it sort of can seem like these new things, faith and hope that he's now bringing up, sort of come out of left field. But that's not actually the case at all. Paul, what he's doing here is he's sort of giving a a timeline of what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what he's saying. It all boils down to this. These things are the most important. This is the timeline of what it looks like in terms of following Jesus and reflecting him. And let me explain that. He says, your life with Jesus starts with faith, then it is rooted in hope, And then it continues in eternity through love. Saying this is is the flow. This is what it looks like. You want to see how this all works together. So faith, quick definition of that. Faith is a conviction or belief that leads to action. Hope is an expectation of what has yet to come. And then love is all of those things that we read in verses four through seven. That's what love is. The reason he brings these these things up is because he's saying this is the timeline. This is sort of the, the flow of reflecting Jesus. And these things in and of themselves reflect Jesus. If you do these things, you're going to begin to project that image of who Jesus truly is into the world. That happens because Faith reflects the truth of who Jesus is. When we walk in faith, the definition of faith, what I'm telling people through my actions, through my life, is that I believe that Jesus was the Son of God, that he willingly stepped out of heaven, that he walked and lived a perfect life on this earth, that he proved himself to be the Son of God, to be worthy of that title, worthy of the authority that he's been given. And then he willingly chose to go 
pay the cost of my sin on the cross, that he willingly chose to suffer and die so that I would no longer have to be separated from Jesus. And then not only did he just die for my sins, he rose again from the grave. And in doing that, he proved that he holds the keys to death and life. And then he told us, if you want to follow me, if you want this gift, this is how I want you to live. So if I claim, hey, I have faith in Jesus, the life that I live is going to project that truth out. Everything I do is going to be showing that I believe that because my actions are reflecting it. People are beginning to see that reflection of the truth of Jesus through my life, probably because I'm sharing it, but also because I'm living it. I'm living my life differently in accordance to what Jesus has called me to. Hope reflects the goodness of God. There's no point in having faith that there's no hope that it's leading to. That's why we are rooted in hope. I have faith that Jesus is going to bring me into heaven with him, into eternity with him. That hope reflects the goodness of God because I'm saying all throughout my life, no matter how bad things may be, no matter how good things may be, nothing compares to the goodness that it will be to stand in the presence of Jesus one day. And everything I do is an expectation of when that day comes. Love is fueling my life because I'm waiting for the day that I'm face to face with Jesus. That hope in heaven is not just like heaven's going to be a vacation. That's how many of us think of it. Like heaven is a mansion on the beach and it's going to be all these nice things. Like that's not really like heaven is perfection and heaven is incredible, but that's not the point. That's not what we should be thinking about. When we have hope to be in heaven, what we're saying is I have hope and a desire to be face to face with Jesus. That's the point of it. That's why I want to be there. Not just as an escape from the harshness of this life, but as a means to be face to face with love himself, be face to face with perfection. The one who created me for a relationship with him. That's my hope. That's what I want. So when we live with hope as the root of our lives, we are going to reflect the goodness of God back. People are going to see that in the joy that we, we portray as we go through everything. And then finally, love reflects the character of God. Like we already mentioned, that definition that Paul gives us of the authentic love of God. When we're living that out, that's showing the character of God. Jesus is the one who showed it to us. So if we're living that love out to the people around us, to the church around us, to those other believers beside us, when we're taking this seriously, it's impossible for people not to begin to see the reflection of Jesus, to be able to see the character of our God the mercy, the tenderness, the patience, that endurance that he has. When we're living that out, that's what reflects to people. But if we don't live those things out, if love isn't at the center, it all begins to fall apart. That's why Paul, at the very end, he says, the greatest of these is love. The reason why he mentions that, he's not saying, hey, if you had to pick one, just do that one. That's not his point. What he's trying to get us to see is that in the order of them, of importance, love is at the top. And the reason why love is at the top, they're all necessary, but love is at the top, is because love is the glue that holds all that together. 
probably I'm not going to walk in faith if I'm not walking in genuine love for Jesus. Why would I be obedient if I don't have any kind of love to endure and believe all things with Jesus? Why would I do that? Love is the glue that holds that together, that allows me and propels me to continue to walk in faith. Love is the glue that holds hope together. It's my love that allows me to be patient, to walk through suffering. It's my love for Jesus that says, hey, hope still remains. I'm still going to hold true to that hope. Love is the glue that binds it all. That's why he's saying love is the greatest of these. So for us, as we have been talking all throughout this year, been talking about mobilizing as a church, been talking about stepping out, going into our communities for the spiritual work that God has for us. If we're going to do that, then the only way that we will be successful is if we do it in love. The last thing that we want to be is a church that has the word of God in us, but doesn't have the love of God in us. If we go out and we have all kinds of knowledge and we go across the world to help people, but there's no love in it, then it's useless. It's empty. We want to be reflections of Jesus in our world. We want to be reflections of Jesus right here in the city of Clarksville. So for us to do that, we have to walk in those essentials, faith, hope, and love. That's what it all boils down to. So I'm going to leave you guys with one final question, and I'm going to pray over us as a church. But the question that I have for you is, have you understood what love actually is? Have you understood what love actually is? And are you actually living out love? When you read these things, verses four through seven, does your life reflect that or does it reflect something else? I want you guys to think about those questions deeply because I don't want us to be a church that is dead without love. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.